Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. Uh, let me summarize quickly where, we, uh, where we've been. If you, if you haven't been following along, we've been walking through uh, the Gospel of John. And, and John, uh, we're calling this series I Believe because John highlights different groups of people and circumstances and instances where people put their faith and trust in God. He talks about um, people who believed in Jesus because they believed he was God. Many of the apostles, uh, the, some of his disciples, John the Baptist, uh, believed that Jesus was God, so he put his faith and trust in him. Uh, there were others who just believed in the word of God. They believed the words he spoke uh, uh, the woman by the well um, in the town that she was in, Sychar, I believe it was, in Samaria. No miracles were done, but God just spoke truth into her life. And, and she came to put her faith and trust in him. And then she went and told other people. And the whole town came to believe in him uh, after hearing him speak. Uh, and then there were people who um, they did believe in the miracles that Jesus did. Uh, and he, he literally... Uh, you know, he fed bunches of people, uh, he, he walked on water, he healed the blind, and, and all these things that he did uh, caused people to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to believe in you, I'm going to step across the line of faith and put my faith and trust in you. Uh, but there were a lot of people who chose not to believe in Jesus. I mean, they had all of these things happening in front of them, and they just chose, you know what, I'm either going to ignore it, pretend it never happened, or I'm going to outright reject the truth that I'm seeing take place in front of my eyes. And whenever we're confronted with something that's going to challenge our way of life, we have two choices. We can accept it or we can reject it, even if the acceptance is, is over time. But then uh, what John does next is he spends the next uh, however many chapters uh, focusing on just one thing, uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He he. he he focuses his time on that, what we call that um, Holy Week, uh, leading up to uh, and ending in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, from an Old Testament perspective, that's the foundation of the entire Old Testament. Jesus said the whole Old Testament looks forward to him and what he would do to reconcile God to humanity. Uh, it's also the foundation of the entire New Testament. Our whole Christian belief uh, is based on it. So, uh, John spends a lot of time, uh, the rest of the next couple of chapters from chapter like where we 12 on, focusing on the events that took place, the interactions that Jesus had um, and over this week. Uh, this particular week uh, is the last Passover. John breaks his, his narrative, his gospel, uh, traces the timeline by Passovers. He talks of one Passover and the events surrounding it, another Passover, uh, and as we're going to see, this is going to be the third and final Passover uh, that he records as a part of Jesus' ministry. Now, for us, uh, we're not quite there yet, but next week uh, starts Lent, not quite Holy Week, but starts, you know, uh, that season of Lent that we were talking about. Uh, and when Lent comes, um, there are a lot of people that are going to do a lot of things, a lot of different ways that people celebrate Lent. Uh, there are some people that are going to, they're going to engage in a lot of Lent practices, like Ash Wednesday. Do you know of anyone that does, anyone knows people that do that, the Ash Wednesday thing? Yeah. Do you know of anyone that does it and takes selfies with it? Because that would be so awesome. Like a, a, anyway, all right, but they, they, they do it. Here's the problem, though. 
a lot of people will walk into uh, the church, predominantly a, a Catholic thing, um, and they'll walk in, and they'll get the ashes, and the priest will pray over them, and, and sometimes there's a, a service. Other times it's you go in when you can, depending upon the congregation. And a lot of people will walk out not having a clue, understanding, why is there ashes on my forehead? They just don't have any idea. And it's not that it's, it's a bad or wrong thing. Uh, they're just going along. Hey, this is what people do during Lent, so this is what we're going to do. Uh, there are people who are going to engage in a lot of Lent celebrations. Uh, like we're going to have the upper room uh, group here. There are people that are going to do uh, what they call Lenten luncheons, where uh, in a community where there's multiple churches, uh, one Thursday or Friday each week, uh, that church will plan a lunch where all the people can come and have lunch there. They'll spend time in prayer, and they'll talk about, hey, here's what Lent's all about. Uh, there are people that will have um, what they're called Mondi Thursday. I call them Mandy, but that's not how they're pronounced. Mondi Thursday practices, which celebrates the, the Last Supper event. And then there are, of course, the Good Fridays. There are people that do the Stations of the Cross. Has anyone ever been to one of the Stations of the Cross thing? Yeah. Uh, I think they're planning one. They're talking about it, doing one in Elizabeth, and they asked if, if we wanted to be a part. And I was like, as long as I don't got to dress up. You know, I, I'm, I, I've been in those Easter plays. Like, I've been hanging on the cross as the thief. I've been the beggar and the leprosy guy or whatever. Um, but that's indoors where, I mean, people, not that they had to pay, but, you know, they're coming to see this. Uh, it's another thing when you're outdoors in public and people are driving by going, what in the ham sandwich is going on? Because they just see... Who knows what? Uh, so, as, and, and I don't know if they're going to have a dress-up thing. It may be just at each station, there's someone explaining and walking you through, here's what happened, and here's what it means, and here's why it's significant, which I'm always for explaining to people what this is all about, because that's what Len is all about. And then there are the people who are just going to eat, like, a whole lot of fish, right? Where, like, yeah, McDonald's becomes a curse word, right? No one wants to... Uh, where And I don't know if they, this, I've been in other communities where there's a large community, they celebrate Lent, but I think it was a couple of years ago, Christy and I noticed, maybe it was just those couple of random Fridays, because I'll do the fish, but I'm not the guy that's going to fast for me. Never going to happen. But when I go, uh, what did we go, I think it was to Sam's Club, because, you know, it's Friday, I know a lot of people are fasting from meat, and they're only doing fish, but all the rotisserie chickens were gone. All of the ribs were gone. Like, that whole section was just empty. And maybe if we just got there at a time in between stocking, they just don't, yeah. I just, but we were like, why? I mean, because it's not, it's not like everyone in this community is Catholic or Christian or celebrating. But for some reason, there are things that people will do where the whole community says, hey, we're, we're going to engage in that practice. So um, I personally am not. Don't judge me. Because... I'm fine going to the fish fries, and I'm fine having a burger after that. But here's the thing. Lent is not the time where we're just supposed to stop and just fast and just separate from things. The whole goal is about drawing closer to Jesus, about understanding uh, what th this whole thing that we're looking forward to that it culminates in uh, his time on the cross did. And, and for our perspective, I mean, just think about the human perspective, right? Um, when you think about humanity, nothing draws humanity closer than the loss of life and celebrating new life. So if you think about, and it's not the great thing to think about, but family members I haven't seen in ages because we live across country or whatever, or whatever the case is, will all come together at the passing of a family member. 
That, that, that brings the family in. They'll cry together. They'll mourn together. They'll remember the good times together. And family will come together when, you know, when a new baby is born. Oh, cousin so-and-so's having a new baby. And they'll, they'll Snapchat and they'll, they'll do video conferencing and all this stuff. And they'll all come together. And in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we have both. We have, you know, the loss of life, the death, burial, and resurrection. But his resurrection gives us new life. So it's an opportunity for all of humanity to come together around things that would naturally, unfortunately, loss of life being one of them, uh, bring us together. So if you have a Bible, turn to the book of John chapter 12, because Jesus uh, really begins to point the disciples towards his death. And really, I mean, he's been talking about it already, but he really begins to focus on it. And John begins to really focus on highlighting the things surrounding his death. So uh, in John chapter 12, starting in verse 1, and if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. We'll have someone uh, bring one to you. In John chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 1, this was six days before the Passover. This is the third Passover. Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. This was an act of worship. She wasn't just like, I got, you know, like there are churches where people come up and throw money on the stage. This wasn't just that. This was an act of of worship specifically for Jesus Christ. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, and, and, and note this, and I'll tell you why in a minute, just one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Now it was, depending upon where you are, you know, uh, someone in one area of the country, a year's worth wages may be like 30000 Somewhere in the other area of the country, or years, you know, the average annual wage may be forty-five thousand. Uh, for this, it was about twenty to twenty-five thousand, which was the average working-class, you know, uh, wage. And verse six, he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, because he was a thief, as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Verse seven, leave her alone, Jesus replied. This, it, this, this, this event, her pouring it out, was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. Now, obviously, he doesn't mean the day because he wasn't buried on that day. The day meaning the time, the season, the, the, the event uh, of his burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, um, Luke and Matthew record this same event with different people where... Uh, there was a, uh, a guy named Simon or Simeon, I forget his name, uh, I'll show you the verse in a minute, uh, where he was a Pharisee, but he was also a leper, and Jesus healed him of leprosy, and he threw a celebration at his house, and almost the exact same thing happened, uh, and it's in, uh, we'll look at the Matthew verse, Matthew chapter 26, verse 6, now when Jesus was at Bethany, exact same town, in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment. And she poured it on his head, not his feet, as he reclined at the table. 
And when the disciples saw it, now the other one, and when we looked in John, it was just Judas who complained. Here, it's the disciples. And if you look in the other verses, it's not just the disciples. It's, it's basically most of the people in the house who complained. They saw it. They were indignant, saying, why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. Now, let me stop here for a minute, because this is one of the verses where people say, this is why you can't trust the Bible, because this is the exact same thing. But Matthew is saying it happened in a different house, and John's saying it happened in a different house. And what they, they say it's a confusion over one event, when in actuality, it's two separate events. And for us, it's not that hard to imagine the same thing happening that yields almost the exact same response. Now, let me give you an example. Um, like years ago, not too many, but years ago, I used to post pictures online of Christie's couponing. Some of you may have seen them. She goes out and buys all this stuff, like literally hundreds of dollars of stuff, and she would lay it out on the floor while she was categorizing and doing all that stuff, and I would take pictures and post online saying she just got like $175 worth of stuff, and they paid her like $17 to take it. And then I would get a response from multiple people that would say, why don't you take that stuff and give it to a woman's or uh, a woman's shelter? And my response was, well, instead of giving it to a women's shelter, she goes out and she gives it to people that she knows. She would give diapers to people who had just had babies. Uh, she would give all kind of home products to people who uh, maybe had either just lost their job or because of a disability they were on disability and so they weren't getting a full paycheck or whatever and she would give the stuff away and then time would pass and a couple of months later I'd post another picture of different items and I'd say the exact same thing she's you know $112 worth of stuff they paid her $6 to take it and someone else would say exact same response why don't you go give it to a children's orphanage all that toothpaste and all those toothbrushes they could use it and I would say she does give it to children. She gives it to parents. She gives it to children. She gives it to families that can't afford to go out and spend because I don't know if we realize that two faces cost a little bit of money. So she, she does give it away. Exact same response, exact same thing. And this is the exact same thing where the exact same thing happens. Two separate women come in to worship God. One by pouring it on his head. One by pouring it on his feet. The crowd says the exact same thing except now, the next time it happens, the disciples have learned, and John emphasizes, hey, the only one who complained was Judas, and it wasn't about helping the poor, it was about helping himself. And this is what else happens. But Jesus, Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble the woman, for she has done a beautiful thing for me, for you always have the poor with you, because they were saying, give it to the poor. He's like, you always have opportunities, and I think this is what we miss when we start focusing on, you know, who poured what? Did it go on his foot or his head? Is this the same verse? And we miss the fact that Jesus says, we who are the church will always have an opportunity to help the poor. We don't have to wait for the right president. We don't have to wait for the right governor. We don't have to wait for the right, uh, you know, government program. We as the church will always have an opportunity because there's always going to be poor people. And all we have to do is reach out to them. He says, but you will not always have me and pouring this ointment on my body. She has done it to prepare me for my burial. And then verse 13, truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her, which is why we're talking about it right now. 
And then uh, drop down to verse 9. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there, came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For an account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. If you're doing what God has called you to do, and you're trusting in him, and you're using your gifts, and you're using your talents... There are people that are going to talk about you. There are people that are going to hate you. There are people that are going to gossip about you. There are people that are going to be jealous of you. And there are people that, I don't know if they're going to try to kill you. In some countries they will. But it's not, a, we, we profess to people, hey, become a Christian and your life will be easy. Everything will come up roses. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. It is extremely, extremely difficult to be a Christ follower. Because if it were easy... Jesus wouldn't have needed to die. It is so hard that God says, look, you can't do this on your own. I'm going to put my spirit in you because you're going to need some help. All right, so here's the thing. Let me uh, show you this really quickly. Uh, in, in highlighting his burial, um, John, or Jesus happened, but John highlights that there were people who worshipped Jesus, you know, the women who, who poured things on his head and his feet, and, and what we're going to look at next is the people that welcomed Jesus, that they looked forward to him. Because drop down to verse 12, it says, The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, and they took palm branches, they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, which literally means save us. So imagine if you go out in the street and there's a parade, whatever parade downtown, and the people aren't just yelling, go Steelers, or go Pens, or go Pirates. That whole stadium is yelling, save us. So when we read this, they're literally yelling, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Save us. Blessed is the King of Israel. Save us. These people were in need of help. In verse 14, Jesus found a donkey and sat upon it as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. They had no idea everything that they were doing was fulfilling scripture. But drop down to verse 20. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went to worship at the feast. And they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, this is interesting because basically they come up and they say, hey, you know what? Andrew and Peter come and say, hey, Jesus, we got some Greeks which typically is a term for non-Jewish people, but they were at this religious festival, so they were God-seekers. And they say, hey, Jesus, we got these people that want to meet you. And Jesus' response, in essence, is, hey, now is not the time for them to meet me. Once I'm glorified, that will be the time for them to meet me. Right now, if they're not in need of healing, if they're not in need of that kind of stuff, all I can do is speak truth to them. But once I'm glorified, once his death, burial, and resurrection occurs, then he can give them new life, which he goes on and he talks about. Jump down to verse 27. He says, Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. 
Then a verse came from heaven. Excuse me. A voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. And the crowd that was there and heard it said it thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. And Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. And what he meant by the prince of the earth, it was a term uh, in the Bible that was used for angelic beings, not because they had power and authority as sons of God. That's not what they were. Uh, but they had, from a prince's perspective, they had domains over which they, authorized, uh, they were authorized to operate Excuse me, and work with him. So what, what John is pointing out is that, hey, Jesus began to point people towards his burial. And the best thing that we can do to show the existence of God to people, especially during the season of Lent, is to act like followers of God. Those people that are looking like, who came up to uh, Andrew and Peter, looking to know God, looking to experience God, the best thing that we can do to show them God is to act like we're Christ followers. If you want people to know Jesus Christ, then we have to act like Jesus Christ. We have to be worshipers of God. We have to love other people. We have to, uh, you know, make sure that what we're saying and what we're doing, especially what we're posting, all reflects positively on our relationship with God. And that is how we point people to God. Now, let me finish up real quick with the rest of the verses up here. John chapter 12 and this is the message version. All of these things, all the things that we just read about, all the things that John was recording to talk about, how Jesus was pointing people to his burial, all these God signs he had given them, and they still didn't get it. They still wouldn't trust him. This proved that the prophet Isaiah was right. God who believed what was preached, who recognized God's arm outstretched and ready to act. And what he's talking about is the prophet Isaiah that said people aren't going to realize that even when they're looking for God, that God is there through his word, through his miracles, through his presence. And he says, even though all of these things were done, people didn't get it. Now, says, on the other hand, a considerable number from the ranks of the leaders did believe. But because of the Pharisees, they didn't come out in the open with it. They were afraid of getting kicked out of the meeting place. When push came to shove, they cared more for human approval than for God's glory. Well, there were a bunch of Pharisees that said, yeah, I get it. You really are God, but guess what? I can't say that out in public. I like my role in the church. I like my seat on the city council. So I can't come out and say for sure that you're God, but they were believing. And Jesus summed it all up when he cried out, whoever believes in me, believes not just in me, but in the one who sent me. Whoever looks at me is looking, in fact, at the one who sent me. If you're looking for God, if you look to Jesus, you are seeing God. He said, I am light that has come into the world so that all who believe in me won't have to stay any longer in the dark. He said, all you guys who are looking for hope, all the people that are looking, you know, to know God, this is how we do it. This season of Lent is one of the greatest evangelical opportunities ever. Now, let me, you know, let me take a side note, uh, because this is where we talk about the whole, you know, so what thing. Why is this significant? Uh, and I'm, I'm going to go on, it seems like a tangent here, but this is really important. Because Jesus takes special care to prepare people. And John takes special care to record it. The rest of the book of John is all about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That whole Holy Week, all the events uh, surrounding that. And he makes a big deal about it. right? But there's still, as we just read, people 
who still, there were people who did believe. There were people who said, I want nothing to do with it, and they didn't believe. And there were people who said, I believe, but you know what? I don't want to go to church. Uh, I don't want to watch sermons online. I don't want to read the Bible. I don't want people, my coworkers, to know that I'm reading the Bible or that I'm going to church. I don't want the kids in school to know that I go to church on Sunday because they're going to make fun of me. They're going to laugh at me. I'll get kicked off the sports team. Uh, I won't be able to hang out with the girls or with the guys anymore. They find out I'm a Christian, so they just keep it in the closet, so to speak. And here's the reality. That's, that's our culture today. People who don't believe in Jesus or believe that they're, they're afraid. They're afraid to come out and say, yeah, I'm a Christian. They're afraid to pray in public uh, in, a, in, a, in an open restaurant. Now, I got to say this because I know if you happen to come across me in a restaurant, as a rule, I generally will try to pray before I eat. That's just a habit. It's something I do. It's not a, you know, like you must use a knife and fork. I must pray. I do it because I want God to, you know, be a part of this meal. I want to thank him for it. But every now and then, it just smells so good. I just dig right in. So if you happen to walk by and I, and I haven't prayed or I'm at dinner with you and they bring the food and I just start eating, uh, just know that, yes, I, I, I do pray in public. Just sometimes you're hungry. You know, you just want to dig right in. But um, here's the thing, I, I, and I'm going to go off on this now. Again, Lent, greatest opportunity. The reason Lent was created uh, was... In the early church, they wanted people to spend... Uh, Jesus fasted in the desert for 40 days before he started his ministry. Uh, they wanted people to, in essence, take 40 days and kind of focus on God and focus on what God was doing and just be prepared for that. So that that's, that's the whole season of Lent, so that we can prepare our hearts for what God is doing and so that we can prepare the hearts of others. Not that we're going to go and, and try to tell them you must do this, but as we interact with them during this 40 days, we get to share. Now, now here's, here's the thing. Easter, which is what Lent culminates in, it ends Easter Sunday, highest attended Sunday celebration of the year, right? They did a survey. When they say they, I have no idea who they are, but whoever they are, they did a survey, and they asked 1,000 pastors across the nation, not in any specific area, just across the nation, what is the highest attended Sunday of the year? 93% said Easter. 84% said Christmas, and then 59% said Mother's Day, highest attendance Sunday of the year. And, and they were big churches, they were small churches, uh, they were all kind of uh, churches, so um, it wasn't any specific, like, all mega churches or all not. Now, here's the thing. Those same days, I think it was a different day, but I still don't know who they are, uh, they did another survey and asked people, are you planning on attending a Sunday celebration on Easter? 39% said yes, which is not a lot. 41% said no, I'm not going. And these were both amongst Christians and non-Christians. And 20% said I'm unsure. I might have other commitments, you know, got to cook big dinner. Um, might be some kind of game. Kids, yeah, I know it's Easter, but kids will still have a sports thing going on that week. So it, it just depends. So here's the thing. How do you think they got from only 39% wanting to attend to it being the highest celebrated or highest attended Sunday celebration of the year. Anyone have any idea, any guesses, what made the difference? That's exactly it. People asked other people to come. And a large percentage of those people who said, I'm not going, someone came up and said, Andrew, I know you're not planning on going to Easter Sunday, but 
you want to come with me? Because we're going to come, we're going to hang out, we might get go something to eat after. And Andrew, who was either like, no, I'm not going, or who was in the, I have no idea if I'm going, suddenly decided, yeah, I'll go with you just because you asked. That doesn't mean that they became a part of the church. That doesn't mean that they committed their life to Christ at that Sunday celebration. But it means that there are a lot of people who are willing to attend. And this whole season of Lent, not just Easter, this whole season of Lent, we have the opportunity with our words and with our actions to transform people as we draw closer to God and as we interact with people uh, to show them what it means to be a Christ follower. That it's not just about a Sunday celebration. We can show people in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces. As we're focusing on leading up to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we get to interact with them and tell them about why we're focusing on the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So then those people will believe because they hear his words. They'll believe because they experience his miracles. And they'll get to know that God does exist. And he can transform lives. Maybe they won't hear his words from you sharing scripture. Maybe they'll hear it in church. Maybe they'll hear it because you're able to, like, hey, go check out the podcast. And the best miracle they get to see is your transformed life and you don't have to raise your hand but many of us can say yeah we know people who say i knew you back when before we were christian doing things that we definitely don't engage in now that maybe we used to back then so here's what i'm going to do i'm going to ask you guys to stand i'm going to close out with a uh, just praise a time of praising god through song god we just pray that um again that your your will would be done and that as we spend this time in lent looking forward to the death, burial, and resurrection of your son. Uh, we pray that everything that we do would shine a light on who you are. We pray that as we interact with family members and friends, as we interact with coworkers or whoever, that we're able to point them to you. Whether it be because they see our transformed life, or whether it be because we get to just sit down and share your life-changing words with them. We pray that you open those doors. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.